Good morning. It's good to see you and, and uh, everyone. Um, again, my name is Terry. I'm the associate pastor at the Hokeston campus. So I've been here and preached a few times over the years. Uh, my family and I were here when the campus started back in the day at this point. Um, and so we enjoyed being here for the first couple years at least. And so it's just always, it brings back so many memories for me when I come back. And um, it's good to see some familiar faces and also some new ones. So, But today, we're actually, for the next two weeks, I'll be here for, I'll, I'm going to be here next week also, God willing. Uh, that's the plan. Um, so God willing, I'll be here next Sunday. And this, this week and next week is really a two-part um, two sermon series. So it'd be great if you can come back next week and get the second half. Although the first half does stand on its own. Uh, we'll be in Psalm 1 today. So if you have a Bible, you can open that up to Psalm 1. We'll have the scripture on the screen also, right? Yeah, nice. <clears throat> but Psalms is one of my favorite books. If I could pick my favorites right off the top of my head, it would be Psalms, the Gospel of John, and the book of James. Yeah, um, but we, I, don't know, I don't know how right or wrong it is to pick favorite places in the Bible, but um, we have those places that speak to us in a special way, and I think that's a beautiful thing. It could be in Numbers, it could be in Deuteronomy, who knows, but, um, but the Lord speaks to us in a special way through his scripture, and the psalm book is the, the songs and the prayers of the Hebrew people of God. And it's an ancient book, a compilation of songs and um, these heartfelt prayers. But we're going to look at Psalm 1 this week and Psalm 2 next week. And together they sit as a, really an introduction to the book of Psalms. So if you just want to kind of lock that into your head, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, they do something a little bit different than the rest of the Psalms. And we'll see that today. They, they set up the prayer book of the Hebrew people. And um, so Psalm 1 is very personal and contemplative. It has the person in mind. Psalm 2 has the world, the kingdom, just everything that you see. I'm, I'm so glad that Eric pointed us to um, these, these, the art on the walls because even within these pictures, we see... Uh, the pictures that come to life in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. So Psalm 2 is the world, the kingdom of God. Psalm 1 is the person. And we're invited into this image to be like a tree. So as we think about Psalm 1, um, and as I bring it to you, I want to begin by thinking about trees a little bit. Uh, a couple years ago, my best friend, he moved to Texas. Anyone from Texas? Oh, I, I didn't think so. Anyone from Delaware? Yeah. I was born in Delaware. I've lived in Delaware my whole life. I've never lived anywhere but Delaware. But my friend, who also was born in Delaware, he moved to Texas for four or five years, and then he came back, and he also grew up here. And he said, man, I forgot how amazing the trees are in the Northeast. These big oaks, these black walnuts, these high strong trees. In Texas, they're not quite as, uh, as big as the trees that we have in the Northeast because of the, 
environment. So we have these amazing trees all around us, and Psalm 1 is going to ask us to become like a tree, a tree person. And, and with that in mind, um, I just want to just have you bow your heads. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And I, want, I hope that this um, teaching from Psalm 1 is something that challenges you uh, in your faith, that your faith would be more holistic, because that's what Psalm 1 is. That's the target of Psalm 1, that your faith would be so congruent in your inner person that it's just a natural outpouring of your life, that your faith is just, it's who you are. So I think the songs, they, they bring us from outside the world into the fellowship of the church. And the songs we sing that we sang this morning, they start to like, shed some of the ways we've been thinking this week and reorient us back to the way God thinks. Um, but if we're not careful, we can, we can um, not go any further than that. So... As we think about trees in your own life, uh, first, I just want to ask you to, even as your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, just to be thinking, be entering into this text as a person. Um, think about a tree from your past, something that comes to your mind. A tree, maybe it was in your front yard or your backyard when you were growing up, or at a park, or you remember swinging um, on a tree swing or there was a tree by a river or a lake that, that comes to mind. And then I want to pray for us. Lord, we, we give you this time. Lord, I'm so thankful for your scripture, how it opens up to us who you are and who we are. God, I pray that you would do something special and unique during this time. Lord, I pray that um, through the power of your word, you would change us. And through these holy scriptures, that you would bring about something that we need to um, see this morning. And Holy Spirit, we invite you now to change us. To, we invite you in to have your way in our thinking and to make us more like you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to read Psalm 1. Psalm 1 begins the psalm book. The Psalms, book 1. Psalm 1, the way of the righteous and the wicked. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season 
and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, many have written about Psalm 1 because it's just this beautiful poem. It's very economical. In six short verses, it takes you to a place. But it's, like I said, it's a little bit different than the Psalms. If I had read Psalm 23 or Psalm 42 or Psalm 139 or Psalm 51, you may have been moved to tears. But Psalm 1, you're like, okay, that's interesting. You're pondering, okay, because Psalm 1 is doing something different. It's presenting um, who God is and what a blessed life looks like. And it's not even really a prayer. If you even look at the language of it, it's not written as like a dear God, please help me kind of a phrasing. It's written about us, the person, the man, and it's telling us what a blessed life looks like. Okay, so that's a little bit different. So for that reason, let's just go through it verse by verse and pull out what is in here because there's a lot that we can unpack um, and and we'll try to move through this in a way that, again, this is not purely an academic exercise, although there's a lot to be learned here. What I want to keep in front of us is what does it mean to live life like a tree person? Okay, so verse 1. Psalm 1 begins with the word blessed. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. Genesis 1.1. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. Psalm 1.1, blessed. Blessed is the man, or blessed is the one. So the first word of the prayer book of the Hebrew people is blessed. And isn't that what we all want? I mean, people to this day, they still, I want to be blessed. I want a blessed life. I don't want to be cursed. Cursed is the opposite of blessing. It's really funny how much we talk about blessing and how little we talk about cursing. It's understandable because none of us wants to um, think about what it means to have the penalty of the hardship. We just want the blessing. But Psalm 1 begins with blessing coming from God to us. Okay, blessed is the one. And then very quickly we see how this blessing takes shape. First of all, this blessed person is known by what they're not. Blessed is the one who does not walk under the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way that a sinner stands or sit in the seat of a scoffer. So first, the blessed life is at some point known by what it's not, okay? And there's some unpacking we can do here. First of all, we see this progression, walking, sitting, standing. So uh, walking or walking, standing, sitting. So walking is just walking through life. This, this person is not going to walk under the counsel of the wicked. And they're not going to stand in the way of a sinner, that phrase, is, I think it's a little bit clunky. What does it mean to stand in the way of a sinner? Does that mean you're standing, blocking them? No, it's, they're not going to stand 
as a, as a sinner stands. Now, if you're really listening right here, this is where it's going to get very complicated because the last time I checked myself, I was a sinner as of this morning, you know. I snooze. I don't know if snoozing is a sin, but <laughs> it's, probably not, it's probably not the most godly thing, right? So we shouldn't beat ourselves up for snoozing. I think there's a place for snoozing. But, um, but if there's a habitual pattern that is ungodly, you know, these things start to just play into our everyday life. Just confessionally, I've really been struggling with coveting cars. As, as lame as that is, and as basic and worldly as it is, um, that's been a real struggle for me recently. And the car itself is just the, the, uh, the opportunity or the occasion for my sin. The coveting is the issue. The car almost doesn't matter. Like, at the end of the day, it really does not matter that much which car I drive. Yes, can I afford it? And what does it say to the world that I'm driving this car? Those are good questions. But that is sort of like on the surface. At the heart of it, why am I not satisfied with my broken down car that has, it beeps at me as I drive? <laughs> and, and it's really frustrating. I'm not going to lie. And how am I getting fixated on this? Like, I spent more time on cars.com than I did in the Word of God. And this is life, right? But we, the blessed one is known by not standing the way that a sinner stands. And I think what it's trying to communicate is that your life is not defined by sin or failing or evil. Your life is not defined by these things that on any given day can come at us and start to consume us. But that, at the end of the day, that is not going to define who you are. And there's a resistance that is called for. So he's not going this way. He's not sitting in the place of judgment like a scoffer. A scoffer just mocks the wisdom of God. And sitting in Scripture is a place of judgment to be on a throne. So when, when this blessed one finally sits down, he is not judging. He is, he is not the judge. He's not scoffing. He's not mocking. He's sitting in a godly way. So this is like, more than this is describing how to be righteous, it's describing the right way to live life, okay? And then he gets into the counterpoint in verse 2. This blessed one, he's, he's, he's not this way, but he's this, he's this way. His delight, the word delight, we sang it actually in a song, nice, to link it up with the scripture. And not, that word delight is not in very many songs because it's, a, it's kind of a peculiar word. Delight is not a word that we use very often. It's, it's like in our, it's in our common language. Everyone, not everyone, but most people know what it means. But we don't use it because I think there's part of us that doesn't really know what it means so delight is to, to see the light in something and to be drawn to it. So it's, maybe it's like a lightning bug that you see and you try to catch. Or it's like a mosquito being drawn to a bug zapper. I don't know. But there's a sense of seeing the goodness 
and the wholeness in something and being drawn to it. Now, if you've ever felt that, you know that it, it's very difficult to fabricate that feeling. It's very difficult to make it up. Like, I'm just going to delight in that. But in this word here in the scripture, there is a layer to this word that says you see something as good and, and you start to take delight in it day by day, even though it's not necessarily like this natural, it's not like you're falling head over heels in love. It's not quite that feeling. It's more that you see the goodness in this thing and you start to allow it to mark your life day by day. And you delight in it. What is he delighting in, this blessed one? It says that he delights in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord in the Hebrew, it's the Torah of Yahweh. The law of the Lord. The law is the Torah. It means instruction. It does not mean a list of rules. A list of rules is a way of thinking about the law, but the law means instruction. It's a way of life. So the blessed one, he, he delights, he meditates upon this way of life day by day. Day, day by day, day and night. Um, for the Hebrew person, for the Jewish people of God, day and night was what they were given. You're given day and night, and then it repeats it's almost like creation. And within the framework of a day, the blessed one delights in the way of the Lord. He meditates upon it. Meditation. Let's talk about meditation for a second. Who here, uh, well, I don't want to ask a question. Um, <laughs> I want you to think about meditation. Think about meditation. It's probably a word that you've shied away from in your life. But meditation is very simple, okay? It's dwelling on something. It's obsessing on something. It's pouring over something over and over again. So when I was going to cars.com, like, I, every time I pick up my phone, it would still be open. I was meditating upon this question in my life. I was pouring over it day by day, and that's what meditation is. So we all know how to meditate. We meditate over bitterness. We can't let go. If, if someone says something that we don't, like it just hits us the wrong way, we can't let go of it. We're meditating upon it. Uh, we meditate over um, the way things could be. I wish it had worked out that way, or the way things are. We get, we get really focused on this. And this is a meditation. But the, this person is meditating upon the instruction of Yahweh, the ways of God. And at this point, the, the Hebrew writer, and we're just verse two, two verses, he introduces this picture, a tree. And the Hebrew way is to present an idea and then set a picture next to it. Good teachers do this all the time in your class, right? If you're a teacher, you do this. You present a principle or an idea, and then you set it next to a picture, which is, in this case, a tree. 
So let's think about this tree in the next verses 3 and 4. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Who plants a tree? Sometimes people do, right? We can at times plant a tree. How does a seed end up where it ends up? It could be a bird, an insect, a storm, a person, like I said. Who knows? So who... So if, you, if your life is blessed and you are the tree, who planted you? It, if you're that tree, you had nothing to do with your, where you were planted. But the tree does send down its roots looking for water. Any tree that's planted has to just Drill those roots into the ground, seeking, testing, going different places, looking for that, that sustenance. And that's what the delight is. This, this tree is delighting in the ways of God. He's rooted by streams of water. And trees are amazing. They don't have to be next to a stream. Somehow they pull the water out of the ground, even in a desert. This, this past summer, we went from Colorado into Utah. So we went from aspens and pines into desert land. And there were still trees out there. They weren't quite as uh, prolific. They weren't thriving in the same way that the aspens and the pines were in the mountains of Colorado. But trees find a way to survive. And then we see that um, verse 3. This tree yields its fruit in its season. To me, this is the most important line of the psalm. If you're a tree, are you yielding your fruit in season? So let's just think about trees and fruitfulness and seasons. So in our area, we have, um, let's just talk about fruit for a second. We have strawberries. If, if you grow a strawberry in our area, it has like a two-week window of being ripe and ready to go, like somewhere late spring, early summer. And then we have, if you go out to like, out to the Amish area or people bring in strawberries to our area that are grown locally, there's like a two-week window of when they're ripe, if they're grown outside. So we have strawberries in the late, uh, early summer, late spring. We have peaches around here. And they come into ripeness, the fruitfulness. And then we have fall apples. And in the winter, we have oranges that get shipped in from California or Florida. Um, we have boxes of sun-kissed oranges that show up in the supermarket in Acme, at, like in December. So we have this. And not only that, culturally, we've learned how to have fruit um, more or less in season all the time. This is the really interesting part that I think is messing us up culturally. I mean, it's, I love it, I enjoy it, but fruit is meant to be enjoyed in its season. But we get strawberries that aren't that good all year round, or we get really good local strawberries for two weeks. And we've learned how to do both around here. But because of that, I think we, when we talk about fruitfulness in our lives, we want to be popping out fruit all the time. 
And we want that fruit to be in season all the time. Um, I did a little research. There's a picture here, maybe, of this banana wheel thing. This was on Facebook not long ago. It's like something shows up for a day, and everybody gets excited, and then you don't see it for a couple years. But a few months ago, this showed up on Facebook, this banana wheel. And the thing was, pick which number is your preferred banana ripeness. Like, which banana would you pick? And then I think people just like to cause trouble. So they're commenting like, oh, yeah, my favorite banana is number 15. And people are like, no. And they're like, no, seriously, I prefer 15. So I'm, you know, I'm 5'6", but how interesting is it with a banana? There's such a fine line between, like, is it overripe? Is it underripe? And yet we have different opinions of fruit in season. And just to add another layer to it, a banana is not even a tree. I looked it up. It's an, it's an herb or a big plant, and it does take a long time for the bananas to sprout, but the way they ripen is... Uh, they ripen in these boxes in the supermarket. <laughs> and then there's like a varied greenness to yellowness, even in the box. Um, so bananas are funny, right? So just, again, let's come back to this text and think about fruit being in season. We all know what fruit in season is, and we know that fruit out of season is terrible. But look at what it says. This tree yields its fruit in its season. Think about that in your own life. What season are you in as a tree? And what seasons have you weathered, weather-wise? So, for example, we've had a really wet August, um, Uh, uh, the trees in our area, if it's a brutally cold winter or a mild winter, they have to get through it either way. And then they have to, in the off season, they have to be doing different things than they would in the season of fruitfulness. And yet I think as we as Christians, we expect to be just popping out fruit like all the time, left and right. We want to be, have strawberries in season all the time. And that is not necessarily the Christian way of life. Um, the fruitfulness takes time to develop. And once you develop the fruitfulness of your life, yes, there should be a constant joy of the Lord coming out of you, but there's a process that takes place. I want to just turn to John 15. We're going to just skip to that. Let me skip ahead. I think I have this text here. Yeah. This is John 15. And as I read this, I want you to think about this psalm and have it in mind. Jesus was speaking to his disciples. And in John 14, 6, he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. I am the way to the Father. We think of that often being Um, he's the way to get to the Father, and that's true. But his way of living is also the way to the Father. So when Jesus is inviting us into salvation, 
more than anything, he's inviting us into a way of living. It's not simply transactional to become a Christian and then I'm good. No, Jesus is, is the way of living to see the Father. And, and this is, it, he says that in John 14 and then John 15, he sort of expands that for his disciples. This is at the end of his ministry when he's starting to tell his disciples, this is the way it is. And so as I read John 15, have Psalm 1 in mind because I believe Jesus did. And you can start to see how he's unlocking this picture of being a tree um, for the disciples. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be even more fruitful. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And just pause there. So Jesus is taking this picture of a tree or a vine in this case, and he's starting to come into the picture. And then he's starting to talk about how he is in that picture with us. And he goes on in verse 4. He says, abide in me, remain in me, as I abide in you and remain in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So I think this is amazing. I think this is so amazing and cool that Jesus would enter into the picture of Psalm 1 with a recognition that for, for our lives to be fruitful, he needs to be in this tree. Um, there's a biologist, Colin Tudge, and he defines a tree this way. He says, a tree is a big plant with a stick up the middle. And if you think about a tree and you step back, the trunk is sort of the centerpiece but the branches do all, a lot of the fruitfulness. And of course, you have the roots that are hidden below the surface. But the trunk is sort of this centerpiece of the tree. And Jesus Christ plays that role in our lives. And, and he's the one that makes us fruitful. So going back to Psalm 1, the psalm ends with this warning in verse 5, the wicked are not going to stand in the judgment. The wicked are not going to stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Meaning that ultimately in Christ, we will all be made righteous. And that's what we will be known by. Not our sin and the things that we do wrong. It's actually going to be our identity in Christ, who is our trunk, that we're going to be known by. And then it says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked way will disappear. It'll perish. Okay, that's really interesting. Does it say the wicked will perish? No. It says the wicked way will perish. 
Meaning, the focus is not to get the wicked person, not to get them removed. It's to remove that wicked way of living in them. That's what's going to be destroyed. The warning, though, is, is, that, is, that, is that if, you don't, if you don't open up to the way of living of Jesus, you will be caught in the destruction of the wicked because you haven't changed. Your pattern of life has not changed. And you know what? This is really interesting. I Googled this. I hope it's true. I really do because it's so cool. Um, trees are the oldest living organisms on the planet. In other words, a tree lives the longest out of a living thing, a living organism. It sounds true. <laughs> I hope it's true because, and it, even if it's not, it's, I'm not, it's not what I'm basing my whole life on. <laughs> but I do think that when we see these trees all around us, nothing happens quickly for them. They're just one day after another, growing, living longer than humanity in some cases from an earthly standpoint. And, and the Hebrew poet is saying, that's what the blessed life looks like. And it bears its fruit in its season. And that's the invitation for us that we would um, see ourselves as a healthy tree. And then finally, this is my last kind of main point is, um, I don't really have points, but I'm just kind of trying to open up this whole scripture to you, not as like a point-by-point -point basis, but more of a can-you-see-it basis. And one of the things I want you to see is the only thing that this person does in this psalm is they delight. That's really the only action of the tree is to to meditate upon the way of the Lord. And then the rest is kind of like a tree. It just happens. Now, I know it's not that easy, but the fruit of the Spirit, the peace, peace is definitely a theme on these things, these pictures. Um, the peace is a fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the faithfulness, the gentleness. This is, this is the way of life in the Spirit. And this is the invitation to be a person that looks like a tree. So as we apply this text, as you apply it this week, I have a few thoughts. Um, the first is this delight and resistance. So what are, you, what are you not known by and are you resisting those things? And then what are you delighting in? And is that how you want to be known? And what does it mean to delight in the Word of God? And how does that change us? So a few things. Um, Psalm 1, I don't think it's any um, surprise to us that it's such a brief thing. There's six verses. In six days, you could memorize this psalm. And by the seventh day, you could be, it would be on the tip of your tongue whenever you wanted it to be. And when you encounter the world, it would speak into that. It would speak into that resistance. And it would, it would be part of your delight. 
Another um, pract very practical thing that I think when it comes to the Word of God is, um, okay, for, think of it this way. What's your favorite place in Scripture? Like, what, where are you drawn to Scripture? And then go there and start to unfold it and, and see, see it more fully. Um, someone referenced not long ago, I love that passage, you know, where Jesus says, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. We'll go there and start to see what that means and, and just unpack it in every direction, cross-reference it, start to figure out where else it, it's pulled from Scripture, and you'll start to see a pattern, a way of being that's coming out of that. And then lastly, um, in your daily exercise, not your physical exercise, but your spiritual exercise, just pick those two words, resistance and delight, and in the spirit of God working through you, figure out what do you need to resist? Like, I'm not, I should not be getting on cars.com for the next two weeks. <laughs> this is how ordinary and basic I am. Um, but what do you need to resist? And what do you need to delight in? And I hope that um, this week you can meditate upon Psalm 1. And then that'll take us naturally into Psalm 2 next week, which is a pretty difficult psalm to unpack, but we'll do that next week. Um, so I'm going to invite Eric back forward as we close uh, our service today. And I want to read over you um, Jeremiah 17. So I'll just, I'll read this as the blessing now as you kind of lead us into this last song and then we'll. You can just dismiss us at the end. So this will be, be kind of my blessing, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so this is uh, from Jeremiah 17. And you'll recognize it as I read it, simply because of Psalm 1. But so in Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet he, um, he was just commiserating over the fact that the people of God were walking away and going in the wrong direction. And the, the Lord spoke to him, um, spoke into what was happening. And this is from Jeremiah 17. If you want to stand, are they going to stand for this song? All right, let's stand. Okay. Let's just stand together and... This is from Jeremiah 17, which you'll start to sense how it fits into this psalm. So this, Jeremiah 17, this is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited saltland, saltland. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. 
Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So Jeremiah responds to the Lord with a simple prayer. He says, heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise.